Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. I'm gonna close our series that we've been doing on honor today, calling it To Honor or Not To Honor. Esther chapter six is where we're going. In the first three verses, a guy named Mordecai had just saved the king's life by exposing a plot to kill him. Now, Mordecai was a Jew living in captivity and probably had a good reason to allow them to kill the king. Like, what's it to me? Too bad, old boy. But he was a loyal man and a faithful man, so he reported the plot to the king. Now, I pick it up in verse 4, Esther chapter 6. So the king said, who's out in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about crucifying Mordecai on a pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, why, who is there that the king would rather honor than moi? Me. <laughs> know anybody like that? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor. Have him bring a royal robe the king has worn, a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Then let them robe the man that the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe, get the horse, do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai. He led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to his job at the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief, crying to his wife. I just added that. I could just see it. Big old proud, arrogant ego guy gets, gets his good. Yeah, God knows how to do it. Kind of an interesting story. It tells us that selfish ambition won't be honored. But there is an honor, and it tells us how honor is manifested. So the word honor is a word we use a lot in our culture today. So overuse sometimes clouds the true meaning of a word. So unless we redefine that word, we lose the meaning. So honor is one of those words as a Boy Scout we used to say, on my honor I will do my best to do my duty to God in my country to obey the Scout laws, etc. Anybody but me ever go in the Boy Scouts? Okay. Girl Scouts? Something. Okay. So an invitation comes in the mail. We request the honor of your presence. When you address a judge in court, you say, your honor. Honor, by definition, is manifested esteem 
or worth or value or respect. It's manifested. You can see it. You can hear it. You can have respect and never show honor. You can have respect secretly in your heart, but never show it. So honor is first an attitude, then it must become an action, if it's really going to be honor. It can be manifested by recognition, by a badge, by a title, by a promotion, by a, a plaque or a trophy or finance, a bonus. But the question in our society where we now you know, are anti-authoritarian and it's all equal, that's so well entrenched in our culture today that we feel, many people feel like, should we even show honor? And if so, to whom and how and when would honor be shown? Now, we know God is the source of all honor. It's always been a practice of the Lord to show honor in tangible ways to manifest his sense of worth and value for someone or something. The first place we see honor shown by the Lord is towards his own son, Jesus. John chapter 5. Verse 23 says that all, everyone, should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See, the Father has honored his Son, and for us to honor the Father, we must honor the Son. In John 8, verse 54, Jesus said, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. So the Pharisees say, we love God, we hate Jesus. And he says, you don't honor me, you dishonor me doing that. To reject the son is to reject the father because the father put his glory and honor in the son. Remember when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I and the father are one. You can't reject him, see? So there are those who are willing to honor the father in word, but will not honor the son. And the father says, that's not honor because you're rejecting my honor I've invested in my son. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So the father has crowned the son with honor. And to honor the father, we have to crown the son with honor. That is, we must manifest our esteem for him. Note, honor and esteem is not manifested as long as you keep it in your heart. So what do we do as believers? We sing praises unto God. We lift our hands unto the Lord. We give our offerings unto the Lord. We worship the Lord. See, it's manifested. It's not just in my heart. And truthfully, if honor is in your heart, you won't mind manifesting it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That is manifesting it, see? So honor must be manifested to be honored. Or so the father has honored the son, right? He visibly, tangibly revealed his love and esteem for his son. Now look in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. For those who honor me, God says, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So God is the source of all honor, and God has it to give. And he first gave it to his son. Secondly, he gives honor to all those who honor him. So when God gives you honor, you become a steward of that honor. If God gives you love, you become a steward of that love. If you receive truth, you become a steward of that truth. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, it talks about David. 
And David was a man God highly honored. And David was humbled by the honor. If a person is ready for honor and worthy of honor, honor will humble them. If they're not ready, honor will ensnare them with pride. So when God honors somebody, they're ready. If we do it, and we do it prematurely without the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we can create serious problems. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles, excuse me, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7. Now then, this is the prophet talking to David. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth and I will provide a place for my people and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will no longer oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies, David. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. By the way, that's not a condo. That word is household or family. God's going to build a lineage, a family line. Got it? Okay. All right. I th thought you did. Okay. He, God says, I'm going to build that lineage of your family for you. When your days are gone and over and you've gone to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. One of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor, Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Well, the prophet Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? He was humbled beyond words. 1, Chron One Chronicles chapter 17, verse 17. And is this, if this is David talking to God. And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. So God took a young man from herding sheep, made him a king. And through David, God was to send Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world. I'd call that some big honor. God highly honored David. Now, David wasn't a perfect man. He was a righteous man, but he wasn't perfect, all right? God knows how to honor somebody if he wants to do it. He can really set you up for a blessing. Now then, we who have received honor from God, to whatever degree that is, we're obligated to give it. In Romans 12, we are commanded to give honor. That is, to manifest our sense of worth and value to those God has designated. Honor isn't something you sit on any more than praise and worship. 
It's one of those things that once you receive it, you become accountable for it. Failing to handle honor is failing to obey God. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. That means to rejoice when another one is manifested, valued, even above you. Now, that's got to be the greatest test of your spirituality at all, to really rejoice, not only when a brother gets blessed, but when he gets honored. See, especially when you think you're as good or more deserving than him or her, see? So we are commanded to be devoted and to give preference to one another in honor. Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due. So we're to honor those who are to be honored. Failing to honor when honor is due is a sin. Now, there are consequences to every sin. You get a DUI, it's got consequences. Adultery has consequences. You're going to be broke. You're going to spend a lot of money. You're going to lose a lot of money. See, you are dumb. You do not want to do this. Hatred has consequences. Rebellion has consequences. Violence has consequences. And the reason we want to obey God is pretty simple. To keep those consequences from happening to me. And to bring glory to God in our behavior. So there is a consequence when we fail to give honor to whom honor is due. A lot of Christians generally think it's wrong to give honor. It's a neglected subject, but you see it in Scripture a lot. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. So every time a scriptural truth is ministered to us by God's Spirit, there are benefits that come from it. See, when we receive what the Word of God has to say, it brings blessing and benefit to our lives. I like that. Perhaps the reason a lot of Christians feel it's wrong to honor is a wrong rendering of King James, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. It says, God is no respecter of persons. A lot of people read that and say, well, I'm not going to give honor to anybody. But look at the setting and the context of this scripture. Peter is going to preach to non-Jews. When he arrives, Cornelius falls down in front of him, and Peter says, get up. I am a man just like you. I'm not God. Well, that lends itself to the idea you shouldn't honor anybody. Then later, when Peter sees the Holy Spirit touch Gentiles exactly like the Jews, he said, I perceive God is no respecter of persons. A better rendering would be, I perceive God does not show partiality. Verse 35 gives us the meaning of verse 34. But in every nation, the man or woman who fears God and does what is right is welcome to him. See, it doesn't matter what your nationality or race is today, where, what country you're from. Where God says, if you'll honor me, You'll do what is right. I'll receive you no matter who you are or where you're from. So he says, I perceive God does not show partiality, but he'll receive anybody from any nation that fears him and does what is good. But that doesn't mean God doesn't show honor, value, and worth to human beings. Now, we read, read just read in Romans 12, and if you read one more, Romans 13, you give honor when honor is due. So God determines who is to receive honor. 
if honor comes from God, God has a right to say, who gets it, right? If you're paying for the bedroom of your kid and they don't want it, you, you better say, you don't have any right to privacy in this room as long as mommy and daddy are paying for this house and this room, right? No, 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 there's no private property. Not when you're a kid. Okay, I know some of you think that's true. Well, I don't want to go in. Are you kidding me? How, how is it, you know, my mother would go through our rooms and find anything. I hid anything wrong in there. And we got guys that shoot up schools and got all kinds of stuff going on. And, well, I never went in his room. I didn't know what he was into or up to. Get in the room. Might shock you, right? Okay, Revelation. Sorry for preaching, but I do have kids. Okay. Revelation 5, verse 12 and 13 says, In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard, he says, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that's in the sea saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So if you don't like loud in worship, you ain't going to like heaven. Um, it's like the sound of thundering waters, it said. So God has first ordained that he himself should be honored, that the Son should be honored with his honor. And we begin to learn how to honor in the way that we honor God and the way we honor his son. Whenever a culture or a society ceases to honor God, it ceases to honor, and it ceases to be honorable. So a society that honors God is an honorable society that is involved in giving honor in other places where honor is due. Then thirdly, there's another kind of honor, and it's honor for our parents. If you'll honor God, you'll have no trouble honoring those God says to honor, and vice versa. In Exodus 20, verse 12, here's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother that life will go well with you and you should live long upon the earth. Hmm, that sounds good to me. If you're over 50, that ought to sound real good to you. Life go well with me and live long on this earth. That's a promise. That's the first commandment with a promise. That means it's very important in God's eyes. It's so important, he attaches a promise to it, so we'll get really interested in it. So it's very important to honor your parents. You may not agree with them, but to honor your parents. Our parents are symbols. They are not only the ones that we owe a debt of gratitude to bring us into this world, but Father is to be a type of God the Father. Mother is to be a type of the church. So if we don't learn to honor our parents, chances are we'll never appreciate God as our father nor womanhood as a type of the church. Chances are if you never learned with mother and father, you're going to have a hard time relating to God and relating to the church because it's a spiritual family. Those who counsel people know that a lot of times people that have serious problems with, their, with, with God have had serious problems with their father. Ask the convicts in jail. I looked at some surveys. It was all of them had bad daddy issues, either the absence of a father or the abuse and rejection of a father. 
So they related that to God. Now, why would they relate that to God? Not his fault, because God made it so that the father would be symbolic of God the father. And when you had a lousy daddy or no daddy at all, it gets a little harder to relate to God, and you assume he's probably like your dad. One mistake, and he'll reject you or cast you away. And that's one of the biggest problems in the world today. Your natural father is to be a symbol of God the Father, and he's an extension of God's fatherhood to you. Eve was a type of the church. The church is referred to as a bride of Christ. So it's strongly identified with womanhood in its symbolism, okay? Now, my father was a military man and not a, not a Christian, but my father was adamant that we respect our mother. He had various ways of encouraging me to do that. If we were foolish enough to sass our mother, there was a heavy price to be paid. And father would explain it to us. If you beat a child with a rod, he will not die. Thank you, dad. And if children don't respect parents, parents are the ones to blame for it. You can't blame society. You got to take your own personal responsibility. One of our problems is we expect institutions to train our kids for us. But you can't pass the book of responsibility. God didn't command the church or the Sunday school or youth ministry or secular school or the government to do your job for you. Deuteronomy 6, God says, hey, dads, impress them on your children. Talking about his word, his principles. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you go fishing, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Pretty clear. That's for the home. You enforce it in the home. It'll go well with that kid. And then fourth, there's another group we're to honor. The elderly, the aged. That's an extension of parental honor. Isaiah chapter 9 Verse 14 says, the Lord will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. The elders and dignitaries are the head. The prophets who teach lies are the tail. So the head is the elder and honorable man. So God honors older people. It's an honor to grow old, especially when you consider the alternative. See, he says the white head is a crown of glory. Age and being decrepit, though, are not the same thing. We are to grow older. We will. We will age. But you don't have to grow decrepit. And we ought to create an atmosphere of honor for the aged. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Honor the aged. Treat them as mothers and fathers. Let me pause and say... When elderly people come in this church, whatever their background, give way to them. Give preference to them. Help them. Somebody is elderly. Maybe they have a cane. Maybe they wheelchair, whatever. You open the door and hold it. Don't rush out. And if your kids do in front of them, you reprimand them for that and allow the aged to go first. If you're in traffic, and I had to learn this too, and somebody old can't drive, don't blow your horn. Don't lose your temper because they're old. And I'll tell myself that on 281 or 1604. Don't, don't say anything. Cindy will remind me. Why? It's an honor. 
Let them go first. Give them preferential treatment. Be respectful. Greet them. Do, do, open the door for them. Navigate them somewhere if they need to go. Don't just walk by them. I'm glad they got up in their old weak bodies and came. I'm thrilled that they did, whoever they are. And don't just honor any one culture. You honor all the cultures, all the races, all the people, men and women. Give. My, my dad used to be mean about that. said, when a woman gets on that bus, we had buses back then. When a woman gets on that bus or in your car, you stand up, boy. You understand? And when somebody old gets on, you get your out of that seat and stand up and give them your seat. Now, he was more definitive in describing what part of me was to get up, but I got up. I got up. He, he taught that well. Open the door for your mama. You know, open the car door for your wife or your mama. That, that's important to do. That's almost not even taught today. When I lived, any of you from the South? Man, we, we, that was our DNA. I didn't care who you were. You, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We didn't say yes, ma'am. We said yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. I really appreciate that. Later in life, that helps you stand out. You go for a job interview, you, you, people, wow, that's a very respectful man. Remember Elvis Presley? He's an old southern boy. He said, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Oh, he's so polite. People appreciate that. That is not a weakness. That is a strength. Be respectful. That's, a, that's an honor principle. So honor fathers and mothers. Provided you've learned how to treat your own mother and father, then you won't have trouble in how to treat somebody else's mother and father or all of the aged. So honoring the ages is an extension of parental honor and honor people while they're alive, not when they die. Dead noses don't smell roses. You know that. <laughs> honor them now. And fifth, husbands are to honor wives. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, you husbands, you dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life. Proverbs 31 talks about the wife here. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Now, I suspect every woman in this auditorium or watching online appreciates a word of praise. How about an amen? Wouldn't you appreciate that? A word of encouragement. That's a way to honor someone, to lift them up, to express your sense of esteem and worth. And God says, it's something you must do. Honor your wife. If you're not going to honor your wife, why'd you get married? Look in the mirror, doofus. Now, if not, God says you've sinned. And your prayers are going to be hindered. But if you, do, if you do it, you can honor your wife into a place she will actually perform better as a wife. See, you can honor her with your mouth, your words. You can do it with deeds, things you do for her. You can do it with dinner out. You can do it with gifts. You can do it with a trip, with tangible evidence that's manifested honor. The Bible says the wife is the glory of the man. And I've seen some wives look like a train wreck because the husband was a sorry dog who didn't know how to honor his wife. She is supposed to look good. She is supposed to have a nice dress, nice clothes, whatever she has, as best as you can as the husband. It is interesting to me that all the Old Testament wives got jewelry and gifts and fabric Abraham sent his 
servant to get a wife for his son Isaac, and he sent 10 camels. One of them had Chanel, one had Louis Vuitton, one, jewelry, fabric, all together. And then you get into the American church, and we think it's unholy for your wife to look good. You let that wife get her hair done. You get her when you're able. You get, buy her a piece of jewelry. Go without something if you have to so that she can look good. Why? She's my glory. She's my advertising billboard. How I treat her, how I dress her, how I look after her, that's honoring my wife. That's Bible, right? I don't want her to look like she just came across the prairie on a Conestoga wagon. Look like one of those old Puritans. No, no, no. That one scripture, all, all Paul says is your beauty is not in your jewelry or Chanel or your nice clothes or car. Your beauty is in your heart. But he did not say you couldn't dress beautifully. And he's telling us we should, and all the patriarchs did. They, they really took care of those women. So we okay, ladies, you owe me after the service, all right? So we... <laughs> We are to honor God. We're to honor his son, Jesus Christ. We're to honor our parents. We're to honor the elderly. We're to honor our wives. And six, we are to honor rulers. That is, we're to tangibly show our esteem, our respect, honor for the offices God's ordained. And if we will honor them, maybe God would honor them. If we honor them, maybe our enemies will honor them. But surely if we don't honor them, our enemies won't honor them either. In Romans 13, here we go, inspired scripture, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to government authorities. Now, he's not talking religion here. Now, he's talking about civil government. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If revenue then pay your revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Well, that refers to secular authority. The severity of government is directly proportionate to the lawlessness of people. See, Christians as a group should never need strong secular government. We should be ruling ourselves. But there are a lot of people in our society who do need it, and they have no control. They have no discipline over themselves. And the severity of that government will increase in proportion to the lawlessness of the people. So both Peter and Paul suffered at the hands of rulers. Yet both of them said, honor government because it's necessary 
and established by God. Jesus himself honored the government, both Jewish and Roman, and they crucified him. He did not revile it. Even that government was doing a job appointed unto it. So all authority, both secular and spiritual, comes from the same God. Therefore, we honor both. Now, there is a difference between honor and obedience. You can honor what you cannot obey. There may be a time you can't obey a secular authority or, in some cases, a spiritual authority. But nevertheless, I'm commanded to honor it. And in honoring it, you have to be willing to pay the price of disobedience if you're doing it for conscience sake. For example, the three Hebrew children worked and honored Nebuchadnezzar as king. But when he commanded them to bow down to a golden image, they refused. But when they spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar, read it yourself in scripture, they spoke with respect, not railing and accusations. They just spoke very respectfully. And he threw them in the fiery furnace. But God delivered them. And Daniel did the same thing. But the king threw him in the lion's den because Daniel wouldn't stop praying. But he was respectful to his king. See, you're under authority, but there may come a time for conscience sake in our government too, or civil here in the city. You, I hope not, but it could, where you have to disobey that authority to honor God, but you continue to honor that authority even though you have to disobey it. And the way you show honor is to be willing to pay the price that disobedience demands of you. And don't be whining if you do it. Well, you knew what the consequences were. Well, I'm willing to pay it. Then shut up whining about it. Pay it. Go to jail, pay the fine, whatever it may be. There may be with crazy government. I don't know what will happen. We don't know what the future may be. Well, you can't pray. You can't meet. You can't whatever. We may have to disobey that. God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Don't forsake it. Now, we can be cautious. We can be safe. We can be hygienically clean. But at the end of the day, we're not closing. Now, what, well, we'll put you in jail. Well, I have to be willing to go to jail. I didn't, I didn't offend God. I didn't sin, but I disobeyed a civil authority. But I did it honorably, and I'm going to pay the price. So you want to be sure you want to pay the price before you disobey. That makes sense? Be sure you're willing to pay that price before you disobey. Okay. And number seven, last. We're to honor God's servants. Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. Even Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, teaching us to honor even the feet of our fellow servants. Israel had a problem. And their problem was one generation killed the prophets. The next generation honored them. They were always one generation late honoring the servants of God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus speaking, and he says in verse 24, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. 
yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. See, all the people in the synagogue now were outraged when they heard this. By the way, these were not Jewish people that got delivered or healed. And now they're out, they're outraged. They don't like Jesus, not honoring him. So they got up and drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So Jesus addresses this problem in his first sermon. Elijah was a prophet quoted in Jesus' day, but their fathers tried to kill him. Jeremiah, they built a statue now, but they tried to kill him. Jeremiah was a prophet quoted in Jesus' day, but their fathers tried to kill him too. And they would have quoted Jeremiah to kill Jesus although they rejected Jeremiah in their father's day. Crazy. You got to be dead 200 years to be a martyr, you know, or something. And then they build a monument to you. It's harder to honor a contemporary than somebody of another generation. You know why? Because of pride. We don't like to honor people we know. Honoring God's servant is essential to honoring God. Those people in our society who honor God's servants hear from God. Those who dishonor soon cease to hear anything from God. Like those who honor their parents usually have children who honor them. Those who dishonor parents usually end up being dishonored by their children. Kind of like the law of sowing and reaping. You sow to the servants of God, you reap from God accordingly. Rahab, she took care of the two servants of God who came to spy the land. And although she was a prostitute, God spared her and her family and saved her. Here's this pagan woman in an illicit business, and she honors the servants of God. And God says, okay, I'll spare you and your family. Pretty darn good, huh? Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. Anybody who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That's God the Father. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that person will certainly not lose their reward. So God tells his servants, those who take care of you, I will bless. Those who dishonor you, dishonor me. So here's a principle. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. He that receives you receives me. And he that receives me receives him who sent me. And the principle is, he that receives the servant receives the master. He that honors the servant honors the master. God honors those who honor his servants. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Until you learn to honor God, you can't even begin to do what I'm talking about. And you can't honor God until you honor his son, the Lord Jesus. So I want to invite you with our heads bowed. If you've never honored the Lord with a confession from your heart and with your mouth, that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will save you eternally. That's his promise to you. If you have never made that confession or you're not sure, don't waffle in indecision. Let's close that door today. Let's step over that line of faith. Remember, 
Honor is not honor until it's manifested and tangible. So, with our heads bowed, could I pray for you? If you've never stepped over that line of faith to honor Jesus, are you just not sure that I have received him as Lord and Savior? No dilly doubt. Well, I think when I was eight, I think. Don't be thinking. No, no. Your eternity is at stake. Just know. Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. He's eager to receive you. He shows no partiality when he comes to saving you and receiving you. And if you're not sure, I just want to pray for you. How simple is that? Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray. So if that's you, and I can pray for you, slip a hand up and take it down real quick. Nobody's going to bother you. Thank you. God bless you in the back. God bless you. God bless you. Upstairs, thank you. God bless you. On my left, thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Over on the right. Thank you. I saw that hand. Thank you. God bless you. I'm going to pray a real baby prayer, and we're all going to pray it together. If you're online watching, you can pray this prayer with us. We'll all pray it together, everybody, out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Come into my heart as my Savior and Lord. Jesus, I give you my life this day. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. Thank you you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. I thank you you paid the debt of my sin. It is forever paid. I will never pay a dime on it. But I, uh, I honor you by receiving you as Lord. And I honor the Father by honoring you, Jesus. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you. I have a hope and a great future. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.